1: That's Stamps.com. Code program.
2: Hello and welcome to Farm Talk. I'm Barry O'Mahony. The dual crisis of rising input costs and decreased prices for farmers in the pig sector is discussed in the doll. business Business-to-business buyers across the agricultural and food supply chain are being reminded of their legal obligations under the new Unfair Trading Practices Regulations. New rules were in place for the prescription of antibiotics to animals. And John O'Connor has more on the stories making the Agri-News this week.
0: Farm Talk on C103.
3: The latest tranche of the Organic Processing Investment Grant Scheme for this year 22 opened on 1st of February. The Organic Processing Investment Grant Scheme aims to develop the organic sector, ensuring a consistent supply of high-quality organic produce to the market. The scheme provides funding to processors who wish to invest in developing facilities for the processing, preparation, grading, packing and storage of organic products, consequently providing them with an opportunity to further enhance their income. Announcing the opening of the latest tranche on 1st of February 2022, Minister of State Pippa Hackett at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine said that as the demand for organic produce continues to increase yearly, she was steadfast in her commitment to the development of the Irish organic industry by providing the necessary support for producers and processors to meet market demands. Funding in the amount of €1.2 million has been allocated to the scheme Minister of State Pippa Hackett pointed out. Minister Hackett said... Applicants could apply for grant aid for off-farm investments of up to €700,000 for eligible expenditure. Minister Hackett pointed out the scheme continues to open in tranches. The latest tranche shall be opened back on 1st of February. It will close on 31st of March 2022. Copies of the terms and conditions of the organic grant scheme, together with application forms, are available from the following. Organic Farming Unit... Department of Agriculture, Food and Rural Development, Johnstown Castle, Wexford, or from the department's website. This organic support scheme is a fully nationally funded scheme to assist in the development of the organic processing sector in Ireland. Minister Pepperhackett added that following the continued success of the organic farming scheme in increasing overall yield of quality organic products, the Organic Processing Investment grant Scheme provides essential financial assistance in the processing of these products, increasing the supply of quality Irish organic products to both domestic and international markets.
2: John O'Connor for Farm Talk. The Dáil heard a debate this week on the dual crisis of rising input costs and decreased prices for farmers in the pig sector. The topic was addressed by the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnelogue, in response to Deputy Matt Carthy. Will we see relaxed conditions so that farmers who have already been denied and financed by their bank and will be supported because again farmers are telling me that they're being refused finance particularly um, because of the volatility that we're encouraging them to take the loans to alleviate in the first place. Um, Minister, will the Department ensure that all levies being imposed on these farmers are suspended for the duration of this crisis? Um, And finally, and this is important, considering the impact of Brexit, um, will the Government deliver direct support via the Brexit Adjustment Reserve? Because if the Brexit Reserve can't be utilised for this sector at this time, then it's difficult to see how any farmer will ever be able to secure funding from it.
4: The continued development of the, the pig meat sector is a real priority for me given the pivotal role that the industry plays in the national economic context. You outlined that in relation to it being the third largest-grossing sector in the agri-food sector. It's it's a sector which supports approximately 8,000 jobs spanning production, slaughter, processing, feed manufacture and services. Our pig farmers have always been remarkably resilient, but I'm very much acutely aware of the challenges they're facing at present. The sector across the EU has faced significant challenges in 2021, including the impact of African swine fever in a number of member states and consequential loss of third country markets. Obviously, this has had a knock-on effect on supply and prices within the single market. The average price paid for pigs in Ireland has fallen in recent months in line with trends across the EU. The 2021 average price was over 8% lower than that of 2020. As of 23 January, the average price um, for Grade E pigs came in at €1.40, and, Per 100 kilo, um, or €140 euro per 100 kilo. That is over 8 per cent lower than the same week last year. However, this is in fact still uh, well above what the EU average price is. At the recent European Council of Agriculture Ministers, I clearly expressed my concerns in relation to the difficulties facing the Irish pig meat sector, both in relation to the ongoing impact of increases in fuel, fertiliser, feed, and energy prices over recent times, which are putting further or putting margins further under uh, more significant pressure and the sustained nature of the difficulties being experienced as well on the pig meat market. I sought the rapid deployment by the Commission of Appropriate Solutions on both issues. I recently met with farmers as well uh, of the IFA Pig Committee to discuss concerns. Following this, Minister Hayden and I met the main banks to discuss the current challenges in the pig meat sector and the importance of their ongoing support. At this meeting, it was emphasised the importance of the sector, its overall resilience, and the importance of their support to the customers uh, through the current downturn in the business cycle. The key message was that farmers experiencing cash flow difficulties should engage with the banks as soon as possible, so as to discuss, the options, the bank, uh, discuss, discuss options, and the banks were clear that they remain committed to supporting their customers in the period ahead. Separately, Minister Hayden and I met with the Strategic Banking Corporation of Ireland to discuss the Brexit Impact Loan Scheme and the COVID 19 Credit Guarantee Scheme, both of which are financed by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine in partnership with the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. These finance schemes can be used for working capital finance and include features which address the current financial needs of, of pig farmers. We are all aware of the cyclical nature of the commodity markets, which for the pig sector at this time is compounded by rising input costs. So they've been squeezed at both ends. During this period, maximum flexibility of financial matters um, uh, will ensure the ongoing and are central to ensuring the ongoing viability in the pig sector.
2: Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnelogue, in response to Deputy Maths Carthy on the rising input costs and decreased prices for farmers in the pig sector. Landowners are being reminded that they must cut their hedgerows before March 1st to ensure that they're not causing a potential serious road safety hazard. RSA says that overgrown hedges and roadside verges can result in road deaths and serious injury collisions. They also pose difficulties for pedestrians and cyclists and to trucks and agricultural vehicles carrying loads, especially on local rural roads. Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan of Bandon Gather Station issued a timely reminder when he spoke to Patricia Messenger on the Gather file on C103's Cork Today show.
5: To rehighlight highlight um, a road safety authority message that was circulated there recently, um, just to all landowners to cut their hedgerows before the 1st of March, just to ensure that they are not causing a potential serious road um, hazard. Um, Overgrown hedgerows and roadside verges can result in road fatalities and serious road collisions. And it was well, just a reminder, um, to back up the road safety authority message, you know, in accordance with the Wild Act, the season for cutting hedgerows and verges is between September and the end of February. So this month would be a vital month for people in that position to get it done. Um, just for the safety of everyone.
6: And a lot of farmers and landowners are really responsible about it and are out uh, cutting it at the moment but not everybody has done it but they've a month left. I mean that's the, that's the main message. You need to get out. That, and, that is the message. Um, and,
5: and you are right but a lot of um, farmers are very responsible and we see cut him cutting there recently and I suppose just anyone who hasn't got around to it at this stage that they might get it done before the end of this month. Like I say,
6: for everyone's safety. Yeah, yeah, because it can be, particularly on very narrow rural uh, roads. For sure, it can be. Uh, it can be really dangerous.
2: Tagusk advisor in Middleton, Karen Duclos, is with us this week. Later, we'll begin a discussion on spring grassland management for beef farms. First, Karen has details of upcoming Tagusk events.
7: And we have two events next week running online, so two beef webinars, the first of which is happening on Tuesday the 8th and the second one on Thursday the 10th, both of those kicking off at 730 pm on Zoom. So we will be covering spring grazing and the new Dairy Beef 500 programme on Thursday. And we will go into market prospects and the new organic farming scheme on the Tuesday night. So keep an eye on your phone for text messages and the Zoom links will also be available on Facebook and Twitter.
0: Farm Talk on C103 There is mounting
3: anger among dairy farmers that the industry is being corralled by the government into cutting cow numbers or accepting an effective return to milk quotas a new Food Vision Dairy Group has been tasked by the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnog TD, with producing an action plan for stabilising and reducing carbon emissions from the industry. However, farm organisations have warned ahead of a crunch meeting of the group next Monday they will not have any hand to act or part in measures which could impact on dairy farm incomes. A detailed plan for the sector is required from the group by the end of June, with a draft expected at the end of March. The Minister's move comes as Ireland's milk output for 2021 reached a record level of 8.75 billion litres and follows predictions from ICBF that the dairy herd could top 1.8 million head by 2025, an increase of 200,000 cows. A similar group to tackle carbon emissions from the beef and sheep sectors is to be formed shortly. Full details covered in this week's edition of the Irish Farmers' Journal. John O'Connor for Farm Talk.
2: Vets now have to be increasingly vigilant when it comes to prescribing antibiotics for animals. New EU rules mean that certain medicines for farm animals are prescribed. The regulations are being brought in to address concerns about the ongoing threat of antimicrobial resistance, our AMR, to medicines such as antibiotics. Dr Caroline Garvin is the Superintending Veterinary Inspector with the Department of Agriculture. She spoke to EU News Radio's Karen Coleman and explained why these new rules are being introduced.
6: Well, there's a significant change in how um, veterinary medicines are going to be used into the future this year. Um, it's a new piece of legislation. It's a regulation binding in full on all member states, And what this regulation seeks to do is particularly increase availability of veterinary medicines. But in particular, there's a key focus on antimicrobial resistance. And this is because of the public health concerns of the development and spread of AMR. I suppose when we talk about AMR, we're talking specifically about antibiotic resistance. And indeed, the EU has been looking at this since 2011, when they developed their first action plan, and then they had their second One Health Action Plan in 2017. And we here in Ireland have developed our own action plan, which was also launched in 2017, jointly with the Department of Health. We're now on our second action plan. And this regulation very much supports the measures that we would take in the animal health sector to address AMR specifically around reducing our overall use of antimicrobials in animal health and very much moving towards disease prevention, optimizing animal health. It's particularly focused, I suppose, on the role of of the vet and how they can work collaboratively with our producers to better control disease and thereby reduce our use of these antibiotics, these antimicrobials, because the, the reality is the same antimicrobials that we use in human health Are used in animal health. And we all, I suppose, given COVID and and, and we know how crucial it is to have available disease treatments, we want to make sure that the antibiotics that work now continue to work into the future for everybody. So what does that all mean in terms of what vets can prescribe? So antibiotics, you know, what's going to happen there in terms of the prescription of anti of drugs with antibiotics for animals? Okay. well, the first thing is the prescription, which used to be valid for 12 months, will now only be valid for five days. What that means is that you will have to get it filled within the five days, but you can still treat the animal after the five days, depending on whatever the prescription is for. But vets now, in order to prescribe, they will have to have carried out a clinical examination of the animal or a proper assessment. And what constitutes a proper assessment is outlined very clearly in their own code of professional conduct. But what it's saying is that vets will have to justify any prescribing of antibiotics into the future. And particularly, they will have to make an accurate diagnosis. And I suppose in relation to preventative use of antibiotics, this is being seriously curtailed so that you will only be using them in exceptional circumstances to prevent disease. And I suppose the other thing to say is that the quantity that vets will prescribe will only be enough to treat the disease that's present. Now, there has been concerns, farmers have had concerns that they may not have any access to antibiotics themselves on farm, for instance, in the middle of the night, if there's a calving or a lambing. But no, the department has agreed that a small quantity can remain on farm. But this is at the decision and the discretion of the vet to decide how much can be left on farm. So it's very much the vet has to adhere to very strict regulations about how they approach prescribing of antibiotics now to protect everyone's health. But this is going to make it very awkward for farmers, isn't it? Because now they have to get a vet to inspect the animal, the cost of that. Uh, no, Karen, I, I wouldn't agree. Um, they do not have to get a vet out to the farm every time they have a sick animal. The vet is entitled to make an assessment, be it from their own current knowledge of the animals or from previous clinical history. They can still prescribe without having to come out to every animal. But I would say it's really important that there is a close vet farmer relationship because every farmer wants an accurate diagnosis and wants the best treatments for their animals. So, in some cases, yes, the vet will have to go out and examine the animal, but that is in the best interests of animal health and welfare. And that will automatically lead to better productivity and profitability on farm if you have better health outcomes. So I I don't see it as an inconvenience. I see it as a, I suppose, strengthening of the collaboration and the relationship that has always been there between our farmers and our vets.
2: The Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnelogue, has reminded business to business buyers across the agricultural and food supply chain of their legal obligations under the UTP, Unfair Trading Practices Regulations. John O'Connor is with me to discuss what constitutes unfair trading practices under UTP and if these regulations are in operation at the moment.
3: Full implementation of the UTP Unfair Trading Practices Regulations come into force on 28th of April this year. Under UTP, which Minister McConnell Logan introduced last year, all supply agreements for agri-food products must be in full compliance with the provisions of the 2021 UTP Regulations from 28th of April 2022. And John, who will enforce UTP? A UTP Enforcement Authority has been set up and it's available to assist buyers with any queries to help them understand their obligations under the UTP Regulations. Minister McConnog said he's provided the Enforcement Authority with significant powers to investigate any complaints received. And he strongly encouraged suppliers to contact the authority if they feel they've been subjected to any of the unfair trading practices covered in the regulations. Minister McConnell assured complainants that all contact with the enforcement authority would be handled in confidence.
2: So who asked for the UTP legislation and regulations?
3: Well, farmers, farmers' organisations and other weaker suppliers in the agricultural and food supply chain wanted protection against stronger buyers by prohibiting 16 UTPs, 10 of which are prohibited in all circumstances and a further 6, the greys, which are prohibited unless the parties agree clearly and unambiguously beforehand.
2: And is UTP the same concept as the National Food Ombudsman the farm organisations have been demanding now for years?
3: In respect of the appointment of a National Food Ombudsman, the Minister said... The government commits to the development of a National Food Ombudsman and those who know me will also know that this appointment has been a particular priority of mine. This is well advanced and I know that while it's not an office which can set price, it will be an office with real teeth and one which will help shine a light of transparency on that sector. End of quote on Minister Maconlow's promise to appoint a National Food Ombudsman in due course.
2: So there are two sets of regulations, I understand, making up the UTP, the unfair trading practices, regulations. One set is called the black UTPs and the other, the grey UTPs.
3: With the black UTPs, the stipulations are more severe. There are ten of these and I'll list these in broad outline. The following are prohibited in all circumstances. Payment later than 30 days for perishable agricultural and food products. Payment later than 60 days for other agricultural and food products. Short notice cancellations of perishable agricultural and food products. Unilateral contract changes by a buyer. Payment not related to a specific transaction. Risk of loss and deterioration transferred to a supplier. Refusal of written confirmation of a supply agreement by the buyer, despite request of the supplier. Misuse of trade secrets by the buyer commercial retaliation by the buyer, and finally the 10th black UTP regulation, transferring the cost of examining the customer's complaints to the
2: supplier. And the six grey UTP regulations, how would they affect the buyer-seller relationship?
3: With the six grey UTPs, these are prohibited unless the parties agree clearly and unambiguously beforehand. They are where the buyer returns unsold products to the supplier without paying for those unsold products, that can't be permitted. Payment by the supplier for stocking, display and listing. Payment by the supplier for promotion. Payment by the supplier for marketing. Or payment by the supplier for advertising. Payment by the supplier for the staff of the buyer fitting out of premises.
2: So there may be need for clarity on the dates of operation of the UTP regulation. At the start of our conversation, you referred to an implementation date of 28th of April as being the date by which all affected businesses would have to be in full UTP compliance. But that requires clarification and further qualification set out in an information sheet, I understand, from the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine.
3: That's correct, Barry. The UTP regulations have been applicable since 1st of July 2021 to supply agreements established since 28th of April 2021, And from 28th of April 2022, all supply agreements, including those which were in place before 28th of April 2021, must be in compliance with the regulations.
2: And so, John, is there a very handy website with information on the subject which you can read out and which our listeners just might find very useful?
3: Yes, the UTP Enforcement Authority has established a dedicated website as follows, and that is www.utp.org gov.ie all lowercase, www.utp.gov.ie lowercase. This website contains useful resource materials and contact details, including how suppliers can make a complaint to the enforcement authority in complete confidence.
0: Farm Talk on C103.
8: It's that time of the year
1: PlushCare.com slash loss
3: Total funding of almost €300,000 is available for projects supporting agri-food tourism initiatives, which may also include rural food markets. The maximum amount payable to any project would be €25,000. Minister McConnell clarified the funding provided... Under this initiative, aligns with many of the goals in his department's ambitious strategy for the agri-food sector under Food Vision 2030. One of the key actions in this strategy is to continue to develop linkages between local food and tourism offerings, including support for business development and marketing initiatives to support and promote food and drink visitor attractions, including the distillery, brewery and tourism sector. Minister McConnlough said... Ireland's agri-food sector is ingrained in the fabric of Irish society and is one of the main drivers of our economy, especially in rural and coastal areas. He said his department was delighted to be in a position to continue to provide support towards the development of agri-food tourism initiatives, which would help rural businesses develop their products and services and also connect with the community and visitors, as well as improving the rural experience. Further information regarding this total funding of just under €300,000 is available from the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. Support for agri-food tourism projects, which also includes rural food markets, is provided under the Rural Innovation and Development Fund. Applications should be made to the Department by the deadline of 12 noon on 4th March 2022. Applications will be assessed through a competitive process for funding of the proposed projects, with €25,000 being the maximum going to any single project. Agri-food tourism broadly is the practice of offering an activity or activities in rural areas to visit areas of well-known agricultural produce and to sample and taste the local or regional cuisine or specialities. Agri-food tourism includes a wide range of activities which involve the links between agriculture and the food produced at the local or regional level. It may involve staying on farms or touring food trails and events, participation in agricultural endeavours or buying produce directly from a farmer or a market. Agri-food tourism also encompasses local food, farmer and artisan market schemes that support or are paired with local and seasonal food producers and artisan crafts. Further information from the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine at www.gov.ie. The closing date for a seat of applications is 12 noon on 4th of March 2022. John O'Connor for Farm Talk.
2: Tiagask advisor Karen Duclo is back with us again. Our topic is Spring Grassland Management for Beef Farms. Today, we discuss the ongoing fertiliser issues, but first a word on grazing conditions on the farm.
7: The weather has been very kind to us, and uh, conditions are good out on farm. Um, we had a dry autumn, um, dry January, so good grazing conditions, and stock are out a while in, in some places, and some people about to, to turn out. And um, Some farmers have said to me they've never seen stock so settled in, in January out at grass because it has been um, that bit warmer and drier um, than normal. And again, we have soil temperatures above normal as well. We've had higher than normal growth rates over the winter following on from that very good autumn. So indeed, soil temperatures right now would allow for good response rates to slurry or indeed fertiliser.
2: Now, the price of the fertiliser is is the topic that everybody is talking about at the moment. And given the current high prices, does it make sense to apply nitrogen now?
7: Yeah, so I've had a lot of phone calls in the last number of weeks about fertiliser and ways of reducing the spend on fertiliser this year. And and I suppose it's important not to forget the the bigger picture here. We're setting up farms for, for grazing and we need to grow that grass as well. So... The very short answer to whether it makes sense to spread fertiliser is yes, but then every farm and every field is different. And because of that high cost, uh, we need to take all the factors into consideration before we put on the spinner. So we need to get slurry out first where we can, and that will allow us to reduce the amount of fertiliser going out in the first round. As I said, grass is still the cheapest feed available on farm. Um, with both the cost of meal and silage going up this year as well. So the relativities are are still the same. There's still a saving by being out at grass. Um, On average, spring nitrogen will deliver 10 kilos of grass for every kilo of nitrogen spread. When you look at that from a feed cost point of view, it's about break even. But if we use um, fertilizer in a careful and strategic way, we can improve the odds in our favor.
2: And what factors should the farmer consider before spreading fertiliser?
7: Well, the first question that everyone needs to ask themselves and and be satisfied with the answer is um, whether um, you have the demand for the grass. So that means having enough stock and being prepared to be out grazing now? So if the answer is yes, then have you considered spreading slurry? Um, ground that can get slurry doesn't need to get fertiliser as well in February. So one or the other is enough to grow that grass, but we do need to set up the farm to grow the grass um, for the ground that has been grazed. So when you're looking um, at your farm, we can target 2,500 gallons of slurry on low covers, and maybe indeed after grazing. So those 2,500 gallons of slurry will provide about 23 units um, to the acre of nitrogen and peas and k's as well. And you might get um, half the farm covered in this way by going out on no covers and going out after grazing. Then take a look at the remainder of the ground. And it should only get the bag nitrogen if you have a high demand for grass. So good stocking rate and outgrazing. You also need to ask yourself, am I going to get a response? So you're watching the forecast. There needs to be no heavy rain on the forecast. You need to target the drier fields. And we all know the fresh reseed or the perennial ryegrass sward will will provide that better response. You're looking for paddocks with good soil, fertility and, and, and some cover of grass, a medium cover of grass will provide a response to nitrogen. And indeed on your farm, There will be some paddocks that won't be suitable for either slurry or nitrogen this February. Um, And that's okay. Those paddocks can wait till March. In any case, 46 units of nitrogen in total by April the 1st is is enough to support most uh, stocking rates on beef farms. So that 46 units can be made up of half and half. So two and a half thousand gallons of slurry will provide 23 units and you can top that up with a half bag of protected urea. If you're farming at a very high stocking rate, or if you're in derogation, you can go an extra 20 units of nitrogen on top of
0: that. Farm Talk on C103.
3: In the sheep sector, tight supplies and strong demand are said to be pushing on sheep prices upwards, but imports of lamb in carcass form allegedly are adding to frustration for sheep farmers. Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association sheep chair Mr. Sean McNamara said figures revealing the level of live sheep imports in 2021 did not tell the full story as figures for sheep imports in carcass form are just as alarming. He said in the summer of 2021, Board BIA informed ICSA that 3,500 tonnes of sheep meat in carcass form had been imported so far that year. Mr McNamara said, if those figures were repeated in the second half of the year, that would bring the total to 7,000 tonnes of sheep in carcass form for the year. This, he said, was the equivalent of three hundred fifty thousand twenty kg lamb carcasses. Mr McNamara made his comments following the disclosure by Minister McConnelug that imports of live sheep amounted to 370,000 in 2021. The Minister made the declaration in response to a parliamentary question posed by Deputy Jackie Cahill. On a more positive note, IFA Sheep Chair Mr Kevin Comoskey said strong demand from the food service sector and tight supplies had moved hogget prices on 10 cents a kg. Kevin Comoskey said most hoggets were now making 7 euro kg with deals of 7 euro 10 cents a kg on the cards, particularly for larger lots. Collios were making three euro thirty per kg to three fifty per kg. Mr Comsky said severe sanctions by factories for overweight lambs were unnecessary and must be revisited as domestic demand strengthens and staffing issues ease at processing level. The sheep share said it's important that farmers would sell hard in a rising market while moving lambs as they become fit. The IFA sheep chairman said the March trade, where there is good competition between butchers and wholesalers, is offering an alternative competitive outlet for heavier lambs and should be considered. John O'Connor for Farm Talk.
2: Dr Hugh Doran joins us on Farm Talk this week. East Cork Rapid Response is raising awareness of what the service provides and how it assists with farm safety and farm accidents.
9: So the charity has been in, in existence for just under 10 years. Uh, although the work has been going on in East Cork uh, for many years before that. So the charity is um, you know, uh, funded by donations. Uh, all the people involved, including myself, work uh, voluntarily. Uh, so the ethos of East Cork Rapid Response is to provide, um, you know, expert medical care to people who are critically ill or critically injured um, so the level of care that we bring to an incident would be on a par with anything that you would find in the UK and in certain and about four other locations in Ireland. So we can put people under anaesthetic pre-hospitally, we can intervene with surgical procedures and uh, and hopefully improve outcomes for patients.
2: And it has a particular relevance, you in relation to farming and farm-related accidents?
9: Absolutely, well... The area that I cover, um, that we cover, is largely rural and, um, you know, uh, so a lot, of farming, uh, uh, a lot of farming goes on in the area. And if you consider that uh, in Ireland, the farming, fisheries and forestry sector of our industrial workforce are probably the highest risk people to become either injured or unfortunately sometimes uh, uh, die from their existence. Uh, in terms of farming, I suppose um, the greatest hazard would be uh, the tractors. Uh, over forty percent of injuries and accidents occur in their use, um, followed uh, followed by actually incidents with livestock. So that's just around twenty percent, and then downwards towards electrocution, falling from heights, uh, and the notorious gas incidents with uh, septic or and. Um, Slurry tanks, unfortunately. Roughly, our workload would be fifty percent medical and fifty percent trauma. And I haven't got the exact figure of farming accidents, but many, many over the years. Um, and again, as I say, in those involving tractors and animals, uh, particularly you know calving season with cows that are protective of their newly born calves. Um, so I mean, it can be as uh, as varied as someone who gets trapped in a machine. Uh, such as a rotavator or a, a combine harvester. We've had those people injured uh, while repairing mach- uh, fire machinery, uh, rollover accidents, and um, unfortunately people who have um, got caught in notorious uh, power takeoff shafts. And we had a well-publicized case recently um, where I was involved um, as the lead clinician in providing care to a uh, Farmer in East Cork, who um, thankfully due to uh, pre-hospital blood transfusion and the intervention of our you know, Henna Med 9, colleagues from uh, Irish Community um, Air Ambulance, we managed to achieve that person and he made a full recovery. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the amount of resource that is required to provide the services is, is not insubstantial. First of all, you've got the the vehicle involved, and we run a four-by-four vehicle specifically because we're working in a rural community. Uh, And then you've got uh, items like the defibrillator, and uh, the most topical one at the moment is the fact that our ventilator, which we use uh, for pre-hospital anesthesia and ventilation, is is now coming up to being obsolete, and we need to raise money um, for a new ventilator, which and I think it's around about €12,000. So it's it's quite a lot of uh, yeah. results uh, involved in providing this care. And um, occasionally I get called out from my clinic, um, as some of my patients would probably, uh, you know, up their hand and say, oh, God, he's gone again. But my view is that if someone is critically injured, then they take precedence over someone who is less, less unwell.
2: And I suppose it's important that people understand here that you know the funding for all of this has to be raised by yourselves in the organisation.
9: Absolutely. Um, each individual um, charity, uh, such as the Air Ambulance, such as East Cork Red Response and our colleagues in West Cork, uh, they're actually separate entities in their own right. So we have to you know put a lot of hard work on. We have an absolutely outstanding uh, committee and, and body of people who do Trojan work to, to try and get the funds going. Um, and um, they've been working for some years. We now have some new people on board and uh, they're absolutely fantastic. I couldn't do this work uh, without their help.
2: And finally, for people then to get a, an overview of what the organisation does and uh, if they want to help further, where will they find that, You
9: they find us on, on our website and also on uh, Facebook. And uh, there are links there to... Uh, you know, outline what we do, who we are, and also to provide or to, to make a donation if people are so so um, uh, minded. And we are eternally grateful for any funding that and donations that the public uh, give us.
2: Dr. Hugh Doran of East Cork Rapid Response. Maureen Tughig, PRO of Shandoon Mokra and Ballincollig Mokra has this week's update on activities
8: Caper semi-finals will take place across two venues on February 19th in Airog Hall, Glanmire, Ballincollig, Bantier, Barry Rowan, Dunamore will perform and in St. James's Hall in Athboy, Callan of Kilkenny Athboy of Meath, Mount Melick of Leash and North Kilkenny will perform Three teams will go through from each of the semi-finals to the national final which will be held on the 5th of March in Capaquin Community Centre in Washford so best of luck to all involved and I'm sure practice is in full swing now. The Cork County Titles Night hosted by Shandoon Macra will take place on Friday, February 25th. The closing date for entries is Tuesday, February 15th. Avondu Macra are running a mental health first aid course in the Bonds and Cork on February 20th and 27th. The course will be certified by Mental Health Ireland. Carberry Macra will host a dinner dance on Saturday, April 2nd at the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen. It gets underway from 7pm and there'll be a three course meal, dancing and plenty of crack I'm told. So you can keep an eye on our social media pages to see what we're up to and new members are always welcome. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Mairead. Caroline Jennings, PRO Corkwest Ploughing has an update on this week's events.
8: Bandon
10: Ploughing Association held a ploughing match last Sunday 30th of January on the lands of Derek and Pauline Lovell, not Brown Bandon. The results are as follows. Seniors Conventional First, Kieran Coakley with 115 marks. Second, Jim Grace, 114 marks. Third, John Murphy, 108 marks. Under 21s, first, Jeff Witcherly, 114 marks. Noel Nine, 102 marks. Third, James Jennings with 99 marks. Intermediate, first, Stanley Dean, 110 marks. Second, Jerk Kirby, 109 marks. Third, Johnny O'Donovan, 107 marks. And fourth, Jackie O'Driscoll with 91 marks. The under 28s, first, James O'Sullivan with 115 marks. Second, Niall O'Donovan, 101 marks. And third, Dave Walsh with 100 marks. In the Macra, we had Andrew O'Donovan first with 90 marks and Michael White second with 76 marks. The three-furrow, Matthew Coakley first with 113 marks and Cyril McGuire in second with 74 marks. The senior vintage hydraulic, first, Dennis Cummins, 89 marks. Second, John O'Neill, 87 marks. Third, Michael Cooley, 86 marks. The Confined Hydraulic Vintage, first, Ger Collins with 92 marks, second, PJ O'Donovan, 78 marks, third, Vincent Bennett, 72 marks, and fourth, Sean McCarthy, 67 marks. There was one competitor in the trailer vintage, and that was John Wolf, which, and he got 93 marks, and in the single furrow, we had first, Ver Fleming with 91 marks, and second, Gordon Jennings with 76 marks. In the senior reversible, we had one competitor, Michael Witcherly, with 125 marks. And in the under-28s, we had Flora Witcherly, the only competitor, with 99 marks. And in the 3-4 reversible, we had one competitor, and that was Tim Lawler, with 93 marks. Now, the next match to be held, weather permitting, is to look Le- on tomorrow Sunday, the 6th of February, in the Big Field List land by the commission of the Toomey family. Ploughing will commence at 11am sharp. Entries are to be in. To Kevin O'Driscoll on 87
3: 6205894 The Minister for Agriculture has committed to stronger legislation regarding dog ownership and responsibilities of owners. Acknowledging the launch of the Responsible Dog Ownership Campaign by Minister Charlie McConnelug and Minister Heather Humphreys, the IFA Sheep Chairman, Mr Kevin Comensky, said this is an important first step and must now be accompanied by better enforcement and more appropriate sanctions. At the recent IFA AGM, the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConlogue, committed to strengthen legislation in this area. Kevin Komsky recalled that the IFA had launched the No Dogs Allowed campaign last year, and this campaign will continue until we see the strengthened legislation coming into force. Kevin Comiskey outlined the four main parts of the campaign. One, a single national database for all dogs in the country that identifies the person responsible for the dog. Two, more appropriate sanctions for those found to be in non-compliance of the microchipping obligations of dog owners. Thirdly, More appropriate sanctions for those who fail to have their dog under control at all times and for those whose dogs are identified as worrying or attacking livestock, particularly sheep. Fourthly, Additional resources to enforce and ensure compliance with the obligations of dog owners. Kevin Cominsky said Minister Charlie McConnelug and Minister Heather Humphreys must now deliver the strengthened legislation as a matter of urgency and have it in effect before year end. He said this is a critical time of the year on sheep farms where dog attacks are causing unimaginable suffering for sheep and lambs and huge economic losses for farmers. Kevin Cominsky said there should be no dogs allowed in or near farmland and he urged all dog owners to behave in a responsible way and respect farmers' demands. John O'Connor for Farm Talk.
2: Thanks to John for co-producing and contributing to the Farm Talk programme this week. I'm Barry O'Mahdi. Thank you for listening.
8: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend.